Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. If you're joining us online, welcome. My name's Adam. I'm the youth minister here at RSCC. And I'm so glad that each and every one of us are here in this place this morning. We just finished up a short series over the month, course of February, where Rick Schankweiler walked us through some of the book of Deuteronomy. And as we did that, we saw how God is with us and how God is one and how we can serve him with our whole life. But this morning, we're not going to necessarily be in a series. So to kick off our time together, I have a question for you. A very serious question. No. But uh, the question is, how many of you have seen the History Channel TV show, Pawn Stars? Some of us? Yeah, so you probably have seen it. But if you haven't, it, the show follows the excitement of a pawn shop in Las Vegas that's owned by this dude named Rick Harrison. And one thing I remember is that at the beginning of each episode of the show cuts through the different scenes and then it's like my name is Rick Harrison and this is my pawn shop. One thing I've learned over the years you never know what is going to walk through that door. That's my best Rick Harrison impression if you're wondering. But one of the things that seems to happen on every episode of the show is somebody will bring in this ultra rare item whether it be an old baseball card, George Washington's wooden tooth or maybe OJ Simpson's white bronco. Rick, the owner of the store, will inspect the item with the customer, kind of look over it, and if it holds his interest long enough, he'll then have a question for them before they discuss the sale any further. And that question is, is it genuine? Is this really what you're claiming it to be? Can I trust that this isn't fake, that this isn't a replica trying to imitate the real thing? And then what happens is Rick will be like, okay, I got a buddy who actually specializes in 16th century, blindfolded, left-handed basket weaving. So, let me give him a call and he'll come on down to the shop and he'll authenticate this for us. And then the show cuts to a a guy looking at the item and they discuss what makes it genuine or what makes it fake. And after I watched a few episodes of the show, I started to catch on. I was like, wait, this is the same guy that was here a few episodes ago? I was like, how is the same guy who specialized in dinosaur bones, the same dude who specializes in sports memorabilia from 1952? I don't know. It was just always funny to me. That was either he's a really well-rounded man or they're pulling a quick one on us. Uh, But anyways, they would go through this whole process really just to answer that one question. Is it genuine? And that is a question that I think is way more important in other spheres than just in a pawn shop, Right? One of the most important times for us to ask this question, is it genuine, is when it comes to our faith in Jesus. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, is your faith genuine? Is our faith the real thing? And I'm not too interested in giving you my own opinion, because what do I know? So to answer this question and to better understand what genuine faith looks like, we're going to go to God's word to be the source of our answer for this question. And we're predominantly going to be in the book of 1 Peter. If you want to follow along in your Bible in front of you or your Bible app, we'll be in the book of 1 Peter. But before we jump into 1 Peter, I actually want to look at and walk us through a moment we find in the book of Isaiah. 
Isaiah 28 to be more specific. And we're going to Isaiah 28 because in 1 Peter, in the second chapter, it quote, he quotes uh, from the book of Isaiah chapter 28 to show how a prophecy that God delivered through Isaiah was fulfilled in Jesus. So Peter, as he's writing the letter that we now call 1 Peter, was pointing his audience back to the book of Isaiah. And I believe the reason he did that draws us near to the question, is our faith genuine? So to summarize the first 13 verses of Isaiah 28 for us, the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders who were supposedly close with God, had began, begun to fake their faith. It says they were overindulging in alcohol and it got to a point where that had overtaken their lives and they had a reputation of being drunk. But God didn't abandon them while they were living in a sinful lifestyle. Rather, it says he was constantly speaking to them, trying to call them back to holy living by giving them truth. But the leaders didn't want to hear it. Their response in verse 9 is, Who does the Lord think we are? They asked. Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? He tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, a little here, a little there. So we see that the ones who were supposed to be mature and leaders in the faith were so filled with their own pride that instead of realizing that they were living with a faith that wasn't genuine, they claimed that God was trying to get them to understand simple truths when they were way past that stage, right? But God knew where their hearts were, and he could see that their faith was fake. God desired for them to acknowledge where they were at so they could grow from that place. And that's why genuine faith requires our vulnerability. Genuine faith requires us to be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to say to God, hey, I'm broken. Because in order for us to have that faith and genuinely apply it to every aspect of our lives, we have to be honest with where we're at. Because if we're not, when God tries to nudge us or grow us from the place that we're in, our response will probably be similar to that of the leaders of Israel in Isaiah 28. And God had a response to those leaders whose pride had let them fake their faith. And his response called them out and exposed how they were being deceitful. Or in other words, they weren't being vulnerable enough to admit to God, hey, I need help. I'm not where I should be. Can you help me get there? But since that wasn't their response to God, this was his message to them. Therefore, listen to this message from the Lord. You scoffing rulers in Jerusalem, you boast, we have struck a bargain to cheat death and have made a deal to dodge the grave. The coming destruction can never touch us, for we have built a strong refuge made of lies and deception." Essentially, they viewed God as a way to secure their eternity by using his grace to gain the reward, but never actually living their lives for him. And because of that, they were convinced that their faith was at a different place than it was. A few verses later, God says he's going to cancel the bargain they made to cheat death by faking their faith. Surely that never happens in today's day and age, right? Nobody ever abuses God's grace. And we never say we believe one thing, but then our lives tell a completely different story. Surely, right? But the part here in Isaiah 28 that's going to take us to 1 Peter is the prophecy that God gives 
just after this happening about sending Jesus, who would be a leader who didn't fake anything, who made a way for those who were broken, those who were acting like their faith was in a place that it truly wasn't. He made a way for us to return to the Father once again. This is what that prophecy says. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a firm foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. So that now brings us to the jump we're going to make to the book of 1 Peter. So while Isaiah's prophecy is still fresh on your mind, I want to go right into 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, to show you how this prophecy of Jesus being the cornerstone is fulfilled. It says in 1 Peter, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are the living living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. The promise had been fulfilled. God had placed a living cornerstone that was available for all to build their lives on. He set a firm foundation so you and I could have real faith that extended beyond our own capability. So the first and foremost important indicator of genuine faith is to know that genuine faith is solely built on Jesus. Our faith doesn't start with getting all of our ducks in line and making sure everything is picture perfect. It doesn't start with reaching moral perfection or checking off all the right boxes. No. Genuine faith doesn't start with building up our own power or trying to manipulate God's grace so we can reap a prize that we didn't earn ourselves. Genuine faith is solely and will always be started in the moment in which we recognize that Jesus is the only place and person in which we can build up a faith that is genuine and real. And what I'm afraid of is that all too often, especially in our American culture, is that we've been surrounded by a me-first mindset for so long that our faith has absorbed these mindsets, and we become something like the leaders of Israel in Isaiah 28. If a 30-year-old Middle Eastern Jewish man named Jesus walked into a church in America asking us to sacrifice everything we have, what would our response be? Because I think all too often our pride controls our faith, and we go through life with our chests puffed up, looking down on those who just don't get it like we do, thinking that we're so far ahead of so many others. We convince ourselves that we hold the key to everything good, that the lives we have built up are sturdy and respectable. But when we are tested, when the wind blows on the spiritual houses in which we live, they do not stand because they were built on the wrong foundation. We cannot earn our way into God's kingdom with sly deceptions and cover-ups. You can't reach a level of success in your career 
or in the classroom that will finally make you worthy. That isn't how the kingdom of God works. Because God said, he placed the living cornerstone of Jesus so that anybody, whether it be the most respected CEO or the outcast on the corner, could come to the table and genuinely admit that we cannot do this on our own and that we are placing all of who we are on the firm foundation that is Jesus, our Lord. Forget about the bank accounts. Forget about the promotion. Forget about how successful people think you and your family are. Have you put yourself, and I mean all of your weight, every part of who you are, every corner of your life, onto the one who can hold it all, who is a firm foundation, because genuine faith doesn't start anywhere else than looking to the cross and saying, Jesus, you would do that for me? You would lay down your life so I might be able to have life? Jesus, you deserve everything that I have. You deserve it all. You can have my life. It's yours to use. Grow me. Mold me. Send me, God. Living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. We become part of the kingdom when we build our lives on Jesus. We are part of God's kingdom when we put all that we are on Christ. You know, it can be easy to get caught up in all the things that happen in life. For me, the, these past few months have been some of the busiest, busiest months of my life. And it's hard to not let the noise and the to-do list crowd our minds to the point where we lose sight of what's really happening each and every day that we wake up. The God of the universe is inviting you to be a living, active part of God's kingdom here on earth. And I don't know about you, but that is not something I want to lose sight of. I want to have genuine faith, even when life gets busy, even when we're stretched thin, even when life gets tough. And that's why genuine faith requires our undivided attention. We can't be distracted. We have to be undivided for Christ. Because I assume that the leaders of Israel that got exposed in Isaiah didn't just get to that point of faking faith overnight. I would bet you that they started off with some level of genuine faith, knowing who God was. And then before they knew it, responsibilities piled up. Family issues arose. Busyness became a normal. A few drinks turned into a few days. And before they knew it, their attention became divided because they lost focus of who their faith was in. And what once was genuine simply became a way to receive life with God without surrendering everything to him. They were faking it. Are you faking it? And I think it's important for us to ask that question because even if the answer to that question is yes, even if we're like, yeah, if I'm being completely honest, a lot of times I feel like I am faking it. We serve a God who will welcome you back if you turn away from a life of complacency and fake faith. And he will set you on a course of genuine faith, full of purpose and kingdom work. So how do we know? How do we know if our faith is genuine or if we've simply just built up a faith on the wrong foundation and we're just faking it? 
Well, there's a few aspects of genuine faith that we've touched on this morning so far, but this next passage from 1 Peter tells us how we can continually be aware, can continually be aware of the state of our faith in our day-to-day lives. This is what he says. He says in 1 Peter 6 through 7, so truly be glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show your faith is genuine. These trials will show your faith is genuine. The obstacles we face in life, the moments where we are stretched beyond our limits, those are the moments in which we can have the clearest look within our own hearts to see if our faith is fake or genuine. And Peter goes on to kind of explain what he means by this, by saying, your faith being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What Peter is trying to get us to understand is that genuine faith is first and foremost built on Jesus being our foundation. And because we have faith that is built on Jesus, when the trials of life come, when the enemy tries to push us off course and knock us down, because our faith is rooted only in Jesus, the trials in life become an opportunity for us to be refined rather than destroyed. Because just like pure gold, when it's thrown into the furnace, the only things that are going to burn away are any impurities that are within it. And in the same way, if we have genuine faith, when we face hard times, we can be refined and rid of any impurities that have along the way made their way into our faith. And one of the most telling things, I think, that gives us a better idea of how fake or how genuine our faith is during a trial or a time of hardship is where we turn to, who we turn to. So I want to ask you, where do you turn to when adversity hits? When everything falls apart, when the thing that you weren't expecting happens, when everything goes wrong, where do you turn to? And you know, when I think about this question, I think of an instance from my life about a year and a half ago. And for those of you who don't know, my girlfriend, Sydney, lives down in Louisville uh, while she's in a grad program with her parents. Well, she's not in a grad program with her parents, but she lives with her parents while she's in a grad program. So I'm down there quite a bit on the weekends. And one week, about a year, a little over a year ago, Sydney FaceTimes me during the week like she normally would. And I pick up and almost immediately I can tell that she's kind of shooken. Something had happened. So I ask what's going on and she begins to tell me that she had just gotten home to her apartment that she lived in at the time, and someone or something had gotten into their apartment while her and a roommate were gone. There was stuff moved around, there was picture frames knocked over, there wasn't anything valuable gone. The TV, the laptops, the jewelry was all still there. Things that you would think somebody breaking in would want to take. It was just a really odd situation. She thought she remembered locking the door the last time she had left, but she wasn't 100% sure. So after making sure everything was safe, her roommate and her kind of just assumed that the door had been unlocked accidentally, left unlocked, and somebody had gotten in, rustled through some stuff, and for one reason or another had left without taking anything. But there was also a slight wonder between the two of them if there was something at play that might be paranormal. 
or just beyond like an unsuccessful burglar. And, and when talking to her on the phone, I assured her, I was like, you know, the door just got left unlocked. Somebody got in, they probably heard somebody coming, and they, they ran. So I assured her that it was all right. There was nothing more spooky than that going on. So the next day, I get another FaceTime call from her, and she's even more shaken up this time and says, Adam, it happened again. And this time, she was positive that they had locked the door since they had left. And she was so paranoid from that that the, as she walked in, the picture, same picture frames that were knocked over the day before, same items, were all ruffled around in a very similar way. And again, nothing valuable was taken. And at this point, she was convinced that there was something paranormal or supernatural taking place. But I was, I was still skeptical. And I assured her somebody was just somehow finding a way into their apartment. Fast forward to the next day. I'm down there for the weekend, and Sydney and I went out to dinner. And after dinner, she told me she needed to swing by her apartment to grab something before we headed back to her parents' house. And I was like, are you sure we got to go over there right now? Like, are you, are you sure you need that book or whatever? And she was like, no, I need it for my assignment that's due tonight. And I was like, all right. So we head on over. Before I knew it, we're at the door, and we're making sure that as we unlock the door, we hear the deadbolt sliding unlocked. And sure enough, it was locked. And we walk in, and to our relief... We walk into the living room and everything was as it was supposed to be. No trespassers have been snooping around. No demons or ghosts have been flipping over any picture frames that day. And given what had just happened the past couple of days, understandably so, Sydney asked me, hey, could you uh, just go look around the whole place just to make sure everything's all right and nobody's in here? And being the good boyfriend that I am, uh, I was like, oh, sure, yeah, I, uh, I'm not scared at all. I'll go do that. So uh, acting super brave, as I was very scared in the moment, I go to investigate around the apartment, uh, the apartment. Everything seems normal until I check in the bedrooms. As I looked into her bedroom, I was really confused because the vase of flowers that I had just given her the previous weekend was lying on the floor next to the desk that they were sitting on. First sign that something wasn't right. And keep in mind, we knew for sure that this time the door had been locked and nobody could have gotten in. So as I continued to look around, I kind of peeked into her roommate's room and my heart about sank through my feet because what I saw scared the living daylights out of me. Her roommate had a floating shelf that was mounted on the wall and what scared me was that everything from that shelf had been thrown onto the floor in front of it. Not just little papers or light stuff. It was heavy picture frames and books and like wall decor that wouldn't have just fell off. Would have had to been thrown off by a force. And suddenly, the suspicions that Sydney and her roommate had about something supernatural happening, all of a sudden didn't seem so far-fetched to me. In fact, I was now convinced that something was going on. So in that moment, I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Maybe the tune of, who, do, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. No, that didn't pop in my head. But in my head, I'm like, duh, I know Jesus. The Bible talks about how we have power over demons and, and spirits through God's power. So very quickly, I switched into, I guess, what you would call full-on pastor mode. And I looked at Sydney, and I was like, yeah, we got this. 
And I walked back into this room where stuff had been thrown from the shelf. And I tell you what, I walked back in there ready to square up with the demon. I was ready to go chest to chest with the devil. I was ready to do something. And I walk in there. I'm singing worship songs. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. I'm praying against this thing. I'm like, God, if there's anything in here that's not supposed to be in here, would you cast it out? God, just cleanse this place of anything that's not supposed to be here. Sydney's in the other room doing the same thing. And that goes on for a few minutes. And we kind of got to a point where we were like, okay, uh, that's that, I guess. So kind of still in a daze. We decided to just head back to her parents' house. We get there. We're explaining the whole situation to them. They're looking at us like we're a little bit crazy probably. And later that evening, I had to leave to head back up to Rising Sun. And after all that went down, Sydney's dad uh, went over there with her. And they set up a little camera to see what was happening while nobody was there. Fast forward to the next morning, I'm here at the church, and I get a text from Sydney. It says something like, you're not going to believe this. We caught it on camera. And on the inside, I'm freaking out. And just as I'm freaking out, I get a picture from her, and I'm looking at this picture that they captured on the camera. I actually have it for you this morning. Check it out. I'm looking at this picture, and at first, I didn't notice anything. But I'm looking for a shadow or a face or something. And as I inspect it further, I'm like, what is that on the flowers? And the closer I looked, I could make out a little figure standing on the flower vase. Except this wasn't a figure I was expecting to see. The next picture I got, there was a squirrel, bro. There was a squirrel on the flowers, a stinking squirrel. And in that moment, I felt incredibly dumb because just 24 hours ago, I was in there casting out a squirrel and singing worship songs to it while it was up in the vents chuckling down at me. And after we figured that out and figured out what it was, we joked that either one, we prayed so hard for that squirrel that it's on its way to heaven right now, or two, we prayed so hard at that squirrel that it's, on, it's in the wrong direction right now, and we, we did not do good for that squirrel. I don't know which one it is. I'll let you decide. But... The reason I share that story is because even though it ended up being something else, when adversity hit, something went wrong, our first response was to turn to the one in which our faith rests. And you might not find yourself praying against squirrels anytime soon. Matter of fact, I feel like I can confidently say that you will not be finding yourself praying against squirrels anytime soon. But I'm very confident that soon in the future or maybe even now you will face adversity. You will face something going wrong in your life, something going the way that you didn't want it to. So in that moment, where will you turn? Who will you turn to? And I believe the answer to that question tells you where your faith is. I know it to be true that when trials hit, genuine faith leads us to turn to Jesus, the one who holds it all together, our solid rock. And there's going to be moments where we're tempted to turn to things other than Jesus, whether that be another person, a bottle, a website, or just our own power to push through I need you to know that there is nothing in this world that you can turn to in all of creation that can hold you, cultivate you, and love you like Jesus. And just because you've already started a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that we get to just kick back and relax. No, because being complacent 
can lead us to fake faith one day at a time. So every single day, we have to be committed to actively putting all that we are on the foundation of Christ so that you and I might live into our true purpose and live into the abundant life that we're told about that follows life with Christ. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, let today be the moment that you first turn to him to choose to build your life on the everlasting rock that will not waver or crumble under the pressures of this world. God desires relationship with you. Will you choose genuine faith today? And if that's you, I challenge you to not leave this place without addressing that with God. Maybe that's in a prayer. Maybe that's walking out and talking to me or another one of our leaders. We would love to walk you through what that can look like in your life. Because this isn't some far out thing that we just think about. Following Jesus is an active part of who we are in our communities, in our personal lives. This is who we are. And if you've already planted your life on the solid rock of Christ, I urge you to be aware enough to see the ways in which our flesh begins to turn us to things other than Jesus when adversity hits. Life with Jesus isn't just a moment we look back on, but a journey that we actively partake in. Allow him to work through you as a living rock in God's spiritual temple that he is building up on this world. And I'll leave us this morning with a passage that wraps up 1 Peter chapter 1. And band, you guys can come. The end of 1 Peter chapter 1 says this. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us the solid rock that is Jesus, our Lord. God, I pray that you would remind us, bring our attention to the things in our life that draw us away from you. God, I pray that we would be spiritual rocks being built into your temple, ones that are active and living in this world. God, I pray that you would show us how we can be an impact for your kingdom to the community around us, to our families, to our friends. God, this is the real thing. You are the real thing. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, not somebody we talk about, somebody we live with. So God, help us turn to you always. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.